This morning we are beginning our, our time talking about this characteristic of our church called faithful witness. And this is appropriate for us today as we've just prayed for those who are being witnesses in other parts of the world of our call and the challenge for us to be faithful witnesses here as well. I would like to ask you to take your Bibles with you in your hands. We're going to be doing some flipping back and forth, so please be ready to do that. Um, I want to remind you of what Jesus said the two greatest commandments are. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We spent this this fall... uh, looking at these characteristics of our church, steadfast worship, healing community, uncommon unity, and faithful witness. And as I was uh, considering uh, these unique characteristics of our church, um, I realized that these four characteristics that God led our our leadership and our elders to uh, really reflect these two great commandments. Um, The characteristic of steadfast worship really focuses on this call to love God. And the characteristic of healing community is uh, the call to, to love ourselves, to recognize that we have healing and brokenness in our hearts, and that we can find that healing um, in the life of the church community. And uncommon unity is a reflection of our love for our neighbor inside the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this call to be faithful witnesses is a reflection of our love for neighbor outside of the church. So I just wanted to to start that with you today, that as we are faithful to these characteristics that God has given to us as a church, that God has made in our church, that we are seeking to faithfully live out the two great commandments, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would now speak to us through your word. As we consider what it means for us to be a faithful witness and to be a community of faithful witnesses to you, uh, Lord, that you would challenge us, that you would show us those areas of our lives that need to to be changed, that need to grow, where we need to be transformed. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. After Jesus' resurrection, he spent some time with his disciples teaching them uh, some some new things, revealing to himself new things about himself. And what we also see in those teachings after the resurrection is that very often uh, they are about our mission, about our calling to go. And so in the Gospel of John, Jesus appears to his disciples and he uh, they are in the upper room, and they're scared, and they're frightened, and this is the evening of the resurrection. And it says that Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. It's in John chapter 20. And another time, the disciples were gathered, and Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's in Matthew chapter 28, this great commission as it's, it's come to be known as. And then in Acts chapter 1, right before his ascension into heaven, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The calling was to go, to be witnesses and messengers of the good news to the whole world, to every nation, to the ends of the earth. And friends, we are gathered today, 2,000 years after Jesus instructed his disciples to do this. Thousands of miles across the globe from where he did this, we are the evidence that these disciples were faithful to the calling. We are the fruit of their witness. And so as we look at the, the book of Acts and the, the story of the, the gospel spreading out from Jerusalem and into the surrounding uh, regions and to the ends of the earth, and as we think about church history and the way that, that faithful believers all over the world have been a witness to Jesus, as we just heard Pastor Han in North Korea and the, the thousands of, of names that we don't know and will never know until we're all together around the throne of people who have been faithful witnesses. And in our own individual lives, we know that there have been people who have been faithful witnesses and that we, our lives, our faith are the product of their witness to us. Can you think of somebody right now? You have somebody in your head, in your life, who was the faithful witness for you. Would you just speak their name out loud? Our faith is the product of the faithful witness of others. This is the story that we're a part of, the one that began when Jesus sent his disciples and that continues through church history and through uh, the life of our own congregation here at Broadway. This is the story that we are part of. We stand in the line of faithful witnesses. What is, what is a witness? I want to spend a little bit of time talking about just what is this idea of, of witness. The word witness comes from the Greek word uh, martyrion. And do you, do you see the, the word that begins that Greek word? It's the word martyr. This is where we get the word martyr, one who dies for their faith. Someone who dies for their faith, who pays the ultimate price for their faith. That is one who is a witness to what they believe. Jesus' call is for us to be witnesses that our whole life and perhaps even our death would be given to Jesus. Our whole life and perhaps even our death would be given to Jesus. This is what it means to be a witness. Before we get into looking about how we go about being a witness, I want to remind us that this is not something that we do in our own strength. Being a witness is not just activism. It's not trying our hardest to make things happen. This is a work that is done by the power of the Spirit that is in us. In each of the three uh, verses that we read earlier, where Jesus sends his disciples, he reminds them each time that his presence, his Holy Spirit, goes with them. This is not a work that we do on our own. It is done in prayer, it is done in dependence and in response to Jesus, and it's done in the way and in the manner of Jesus. Uh, when we are witnesses to Jesus, we can't uh, think that the ends justify the means. We always have to be faithful to the one who sent us, 
to go about our work in the world, uh, doing it in the way that he, he did it. Many times, our, our faithful witness to Jesus is more about the way we go, in, go about doing it than the results at the other end. That our call to be witness is to be a faithful witness. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. This is the, the famous chapter in the Bible about people of faith. And there's this one, one section in Hebrews chapter 11 that uh, really strikes me. Because there's this whole list of all these different people of faith that we learn about in the Old Testament. And then the writer of Hebrews in verse 32 says this. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David or Samuel and the prophets. These were ones who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead raised to life. So the writer of Hebrews talks about all these people who in the eyes of the world were successful. They administered kingdoms. Uh, They raised the dead back to life. They did all these amazing things that the world would have looked at and said, wow, that's incredible. Their faithfulness led to that. But then in the very same breath, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. Isn't that interesting that this writer of Hebrews, as he's talking about living a life of faith, that the result, the, the, the result in the eyes of the world can be both success in administering kingdoms and wandering around in goatskins. That faithfulness can result in either of those two things can result in in worldly success where people can see the effect that their witness is having on others. And other people who live lives of faith that because of the circumstances, because of uh, of the country they live in or the politics that that are around them, that their faithfulness looks like failure. And the writer of Hebrews makes no distinction between the two. That faithfulness sometimes will lead to this worldly idea of success and other times will look like failure. But we, no matter what, are called to be faithful witnesses. Whether that leads to success and influence and power in the world, or whether that leads to what looks like failure. I want to suggest to you that being a faithful witness requires at least three things. I think I have them in your bulletin. requires at least three things. The first is an experience with Jesus. Being a witness is very simply speaking about something you have experienced. Think about a witness in a courtroom. The witness in a courtroom has no other authority other than their own story, other than what they have seen. If a witness is brought into a courtroom and the witness begins to talk about their opinion of whether or not the person is guilty or innocent, the judge is going to stop them. The the courtroom doesn't want to know what the witness what the witness's opinion is, 
They just want to know what the witness saw, what the witness experienced. What the witness saw and experienced is the only thing that the jury is concerned about. So you, being a witness for Jesus, is simply telling the story. What has Jesus done for you in your life? What difference has Jesus made? You were blind and now you see. Your experience with Jesus is the basis of your authority as a witness. It gives your witness its power. We have to have an experience with Jesus if we're going to be witnesses. Second thing is we need to act faithfully to our witness. Notice that Jesus, when he says in Acts chapter 1, he doesn't say, go and be my witnesses. He says, you will be my witnesses. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you bear his name, you are a witness to Jesus through your actions. This isn't a title that we can pick up and then put back down. It's not something that we do one day and not do the next day. If you bear the name Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, you are his witness. The question is not whether you will be a witness or not. The question is, what kind of witness will you be? Will you be a faithful witness, one that faithfully through your actions reflects Jesus, or will you be an unfaithful witness? And if you claim Christ, if you bear his name everywhere you go, your actions, your life is saying something about who you believe Jesus is. Your actions are one part of your witness. Third is our words. St. Francis is often quoted with saying, go out into all the world and preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Um, This quote, I think, is meant to emphasize the importance of our actions, and that's good. But if St. Francis said it, and I don't think that he did, but if he did, he was wrong. Our words are necessary for our witness. Our communication to others is necessary. Friends, for decades, for decades, I have sought to model my life after Jesus. I've sought to live a life of simplicity, a life of holiness. I've tried to love other people as myself. I've tried to follow Christ. And in spite of all of that, I have never once had a non-believer come up to me and say, Ryan, I've been observing your totally awesome life. Would you tell me about Jesus? It's never happened. Not a single time. I hope people see a difference than me. I hope that my my neighbors on our street that we've built will see Jesus reflected in my life. But if those neighbors or mine are going to know Jesus, it's going to be because I'm willing to share with them, with words, the experience that I have had with him. As followers of Jesus, we have news. The gospel literally means good news, and news involves words. It involves communication from one person to another. If we are going to be faithful witnesses to Jesus, we must, when the opportunity arises, bear witness to who Jesus is in our life, to tell about the experience that we have had with him. And those of you who feel hesitant to share your faith, you're not alone, But I want to tell you today that you have no other obligation than to simply tell people what you have experienced with Jesus. Being a witness and being an evangelist are not the same thing. 
You, you don't have to have any diagrams or, or any gospel stories memorized. You don't have to be afraid of saying the wrong thing. Your calling as a witness to Jesus is telling others what you've seen and experienced because that's what a witness does. There are some of you in this room who have that gift of evangelism. You have that ability to, to communicate the good news to other people in a way that they can understand, in a compelling way. I don't feel like I am an evangelist. There have been times in my life when I've been sitting, talking with a non-believer, with a person who's an evangelist, and as I'm communicating to them, it's like they have this like, stare on their face that I'm not communicating to them well at all. But then the evangelist starts to talk, and something happens in them. And they have a light come on in their brain because that evangelist has been given that gift. It's an amazing thing. I haven't perhaps been given the gift of evangelism, but I have been given the identity of a witness. And that's an identity that all of us have. And because of that identity, there are times in my life, relationships that I have with other people, relationships that I've built with other people that then give me the opportunity to witness to who Jesus was and what he means for me. How he has helped me see the world in a different and a better way. How he has saved me and forgave me from uh, my sin and to offer that witness of my life to them. Does that make sense? You don't have to know all of the right answers. You simply have to tell as a witness who Jesus is for you. That's what uh, is asked of you uh, by Jesus through your words. So I want to finish our time this morning by talking about the power of a community of witnesses. The power of a community of witnesses. We are called into the world, and I've already talked about that just now, that we are called into the world as individuals to be a witness when we leave on Sunday morning, very often I will pray as, as we go out into the world that God would, would make us salt and light in our, in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our schools and in our workplaces. We are called as individuals, and we'll talk more about this next week, about our own individual callings uh, to be a faithful witness. But today what I want us to remember that another part of our witness is that our witness is as a community of faith to the world. The way that we live our lives together as believers is a witness to the world. Jesus said it this way, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. According to Jesus, the defining mark of our witness is our love for one another. It's not social action. It's not political power or influence. It's not even caring for the poor. It's not big buildings and great sermons. The defining mark, the most important thing that we can do to demonstrate our witness to the world, according to Jesus, is loving one another. And this is what we see in the life of the early church. When the Holy Spirit came onto the early church, filled the, Holy church, uh, the, the early church with his presence, here are the kinds of things that they did. Look at Acts chapter 2. When the Spirit came and filled that early community with the Spirit, this, these are the kinds of things that they did. Acts chapter 2. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Each day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They cared for one another, they ate together, they had a fellowship with one another, they took care of one another, and people around them and said, that's a community that I want to belong to. And so the Lord added to them daily those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 4, there's another description of the early church. Acts chapter 4, flip the page, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. There was no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each one who had need. There was something about the quality of the community life together in that early church that drew people to the church. It wasn't simply that people saw Peter and thought, wow, that Peter, he's such a great guy, I want to become like him. The people looked and they saw a unique community of people. They saw a gathering of fellowship, of love, of forgiveness, of sharing and caring for one another. And the people on the outside saw that and they wanted that experience for themselves. They wanted a place of belonging. They saw a place where they could receive love and be cared for and where they could extend their love to others. And they saw that that place would be safe for them uh, in a very dangerous world. And certainly God used individual evangelists to go and to preach the message. But behind that message, behind that good news, was a community of people that was living according to it. In 1 Peter chapter 2 Go ahead and turn there as well. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is another passage that speaks about our calling to be a community of of witness. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 9. Peter writes this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Listen to all of these community languages. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives as this community of people. Live such good lives among the pagans that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. The King James Version translates that phrase of people belonging to God as a peculiar people. I love that. That we are called to be a peculiar people. The good news of Jesus doesn't just call us to be peculiar individuals. The gospel, the good news, calls us to be a peculiar people. A peculiar community, a different kind of community than that exists anywhere else in the world. A community that is marked by forgiveness. A community that is marked by healing and steadfast worship and uncommon unity. A community that's marked by sacrifice and love for one another. 
a peculiar people. One faithful witness in my life, I think he, he's dead now for sure. I think he probably died when I was quite young. Um, but his writings have meant a lot to me. As a man named Leslie Newbegin. Uh, Leslie Newbegin was a missionary in India for 40 years. Uh, from like the 1930s into the 1970s. Leslie Newbegin was very, had a very successful uh, missionary, uh, I don't want to say career, that's not the right word, but missionary calling to India. But when he came back to, to Great Britain after those 40 years in India, he moved back to England and discovered that what had happened in that time of him leaving Great Britain, going to India for 40 years and coming back, is that Western culture had become a mission field. That most of the people in his community in Great Britain were now unfamiliar with the Bible and the Christian story. Before he left India, if someone had asked a typical man or woman on the street uh, the basics of Christianity, they had the the furniture in their their minds to, to tell the story of Christianity, to tell some story about Jesus and to, to, to reflect the Christian story accurately. But 40 years later, when he came back to Great Britain, that was no longer the case. Ask the typical person on the street what Christianity was all about, and the biblical story was not known any longer. Western culture had become a mission field. And so he pushed the church in his writings and in his leadership for the rest of his life, he pushed the church to recognize that if people are going to understand the message of Jesus then they were going to have to interpret that message through a community of people because the Bible had become unfamiliar to people in Western culture. Enough 40 years later from that, that's certainly true in Fort Wayne as well. The biblical story, for the most part, is a mystery to most of your neighbors. And even if your unbelieving neighbor is inclined to open up the Bible it would be like reading the foreign language to them. The way that our neighbors are most likely going to see and come to know the gospel is by looking at a community of people who are living by the gospel. How we act, whatever we do as a church, will tell our neighbors what the gospel is all about, or will tell our neighbors what we think the gospel is all about. The world will interpret the gospel by the way that we live. That's a sobering thought. The world will interpret what the gospel is all about through the way that we live our life together as a community. So whatever we do, for better or for worse, that's what our neighbors will think about what the gospel is all about. So there's two challenges for us today as we we think about that reality and that reality that we live in right now. And the first challenge is for us then to have a deeper commitment to one another. If we are known by our love for one another, there is a challenge for us to be more committed in our love for each other. The panel last week did an amazing job of affirming the ways that they've experienced uh, the love of Christ through Broadway, and many of them also challenged us to take the next step in moving closer towards one another and to being uh, more committed to one another. All of us need to take steps toward one another. 
to invite people uh, into our homes and to invite also non-believers to see our relationships with one another. And uh, of course, by inviting them to church, perhaps on Sunday, but also inviting them um, into your small groups or into your own meals with other believers so that they can have contact, so they can experience, so they can see with their own eyes and hear with their own ears the way that Christians interact with one another. Others will see and come to know about the gospel as we love one another. And I think we also, in addition to a deeper commitment to one another, I think we're being called to a deeper commitment to our particular place, to our neighborhood and to our city. Deeper commitment to one another and a deeper commitment to our particular place, to our city and our neighborhood. There is very little that you and I can do to change and influence national politics, national agendas, international foreign policy. It's very little. We pray for those leaders as we did today and as we will continue to do. We pray and encourage followers of Jesus to be in their own lives salt and light in those places. But what each of us can do is be present in our local place. Be committed to our block. Be committed to looking at the needs and concerns and work of our own city and to be involved and invested there. When we look at the the story of the first three or four centuries of believers in the early church, historians and sociologists have asked the question, how was it that this very small group of like 100 people in around 30 AD over the course of the next 250 years completely changed the Roman Empire? without having any political influence, hardly any money at all? How did this group of people do that? And historians and sociologists, Christians and non-Christians alike, come to the conclusion that Christians lived differently than the other communities around them. So just as one example, I want to read this quote from a sociologist named Rodney Stark, who was not a believer when he wrote this, uh, but has become a believer since. He's a historian, and he says this, Christianity revitalized life in Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent urban problems. To cities filled with the homeless and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. This is a description of the body of Christ at work. Christians being committed to their particular place, sharing in the life and the struggles of a particular city, being present in very real and sacrificial ways uh, to that particular place, and being the presence of Jesus there. So friends, our calling to be witnesses is a calling to live an individual life that honors God and that reflects the character of God, and it's also a calling for us to live a unique way of life together as a community here at Broadway Christian. The world will know that you are followers if you love one another. The world needs the church to be the church. The world doesn't need another social agency. 
The, the world doesn't need another political voting block. The world doesn't need a group of people who grasp for power and influence. The group of people who are being faithful witnesses to Jesus is what the world needs. And so I just go back to where we began today. That the Lord has given us particular characteristics at Broadway to live this out faithfully. And so as we continue to, to talk about this and to pray about this here on Sunday mornings and in our small groups as we go forward, uh, let's continue to be people of steadfast worship, of healing community, of uncommon unity, and of faithful witness. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for what you're doing here among us here at Broadway. We thank you for what you have already done over the last 40 plus years in making us a particular, peculiar community. And I pray that we will become more peculiar still. That, that, that we, as our particular local church here at Broadway and the Christians in this city, would be known for our love for one another and our love for you and our love for our neighbor. It would be known for, for nothing else but those three things. That in our actions, in our words, that we would be a demonstration of love for you and love for our neighbor. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.